Why? Why did the prophet pray, the king not believe, and the prophet run? These are three very real questions that I don't see how you can avoid as you read these few verses. I was about to skip these verses as they seem anticlimactic to the great fiery confrontations and manifestations that we have seen on Mount Carmel. But I was personally captivated by watching Elijah and Ahab and the subject the, 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 the subsequent events to this great fiery miracle that has taken place. Elijah, why did you go and pray so intensely when you knew the rain was coming? Elijah, why did you run a 17-mile marathon to Jezreel in front of Ahab's chariot? Ahab, after seeing the fire fall from heaven, obviously by the hand of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, why did you not fall on your face before him in repentance and faith? So let's address those three questions. First, I want you to see in this passage that God calls us to turn his promises into prayers. You want to know why Elijah went to pray so intensely for rain when he knew it was coming? Because in Scripture, God calls us to turn his promises into prayers. Look at verses 41 and 42. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there's the sound of rushing rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink. But Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed down himself on the earth and put his face between his knees. Elijah tells Ahab, you go eat and drink. He's telling Ahab it's about to rain. Ahab, you go celebrate. Your kingdom that has not seen rain for 1,095 days is about to be watered. Your kingdom that has been arid and dry and there's not even been a drop of dew for three years is about to be watered. Your livestock will have water and the land will bloom with grapes and olives and grains again. And that's exactly what Ahab does. He dines with his entourage. But Elijah does not go with him. Now I must confess, if I'd had the day that Elijah had, think about his day for a minute. He had stood alone before 450 prophets of Baal on top of that mountain. He had laughed at the futile prayers of those false prophets and false priests to a God who was not there. 
He had soaked an altar. He had rebuilt an altar. Destroyed altar. He had rebuilt it. Soaked the wood and the sacrifice in water. And then watched as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob sent a consuming fire out of a cloudless sky and burned up the wood and the sacrifice. He had an incredible story, an incredible day. The honor of God's name had been restored. Now you know that King Ahab, this was what kings do. They know how to celebrate. They know how to have a party for their court. You know King Ahab had some incredible delicacies and wines on his table that he had brought to Carmel. If I'd been Elijah, I said, what a day. I'm going to eat. I'm going to celebrate. I'm going to drink wine and enjoy this food. But instead, Elijah goes off by himself to the top of the mountain and kneels down in prayer. He's obviously praying for rain. He tells his servant, go see if there's a cloud over the sea. He could see the eastern end of the Mediterranean from there. Why was he praying for rain? God had recently promised that he was sending rain on the land that had been ravaged by drought. God had already told Elijah. We saw this several weeks ago in 1 Kings 18, the first verse. Look at it. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. But Elijah, even though he had the promise, he went to pray anyway. But this is what Elijah had done all along. Because he knew the truth that God called us to take his promises and turn them into our prayers. He had taken God at his word and prayed for his promises to be fulfilled. He had done that previously. Think, how did the drought begin? This is the one thing that you must not miss. God did not come to Elijah and say, there's going to be a drought, go tell Ahab. That's not what the Bible teaches. Elijah had read from Deuteronomy in his Bible, in his scroll, he had read that God had promised drought if the people of Israel chased after other gods. If they forsook the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and practiced idolatry, he promised he would send a drought. Look at Deuteronomy 11, 16 and 17. Now, I couldn't help this week to think about this. Of course, Elijah was reading it in Hebrew. But he had a scroll, and it had the book of Deuteronomy on that scroll. And he read these very verses, just like we read them. Take care, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain, and the land will yield no fruit, and you will perish quickly off of the good land that the Lord is giving you. That was absolute, unchangeable truth. Elijah had been living in the Antichrist, the anti-God culture of Ahab. Israel had absolutely followed after Baal and Asherah, the seductive, or Baal and Asherah, the seductive and fun gods of Tyre and Sidon. 
God had promised. In such cases, I will send drought. So what did Elijah do? Elijah was sick with Israel's sin. He was jealous for the name of God that was being, the name of God that was being dragged through the sewer in Ahab's Israel. And what did he do? James 5.17, look at it with me. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And, <clears throat> excuse me. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. What had happened? Elijah took God at his word and prayed down the drought. He knew the drought had to come before he prayed. He knew it was coming because God does not break his promises. But he did not sit and wait for the inevitable promised drought. He prayed for it to come right then. Now, God had also promised in 1 Kings 18.1, Elijah, go show yourself to Ahab. I am about to send rain. Elijah knew the rain was inevitable. But he didn't wait for the rain to materialize. And even James records that. What happens in James, what did he say in James 17? That Elijah prayed down the drought? Well, look at verse 18 of James 5. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. He prayed intensely once on top of that mountain. He prayed, got down on his knees, prayed, Father, send the rain. God, send the rain. God of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, send the rain. And then he said to his servant, go see if you see a cloud over the sea. No clouds, servant reported. So he prayed again, sent the servant again. The servant came back, no clouds. He did this seven times, finally, the seventh time, Elijah's servant looked out over the sea. He saw clouds being formed. Comes back. There's a cloud, Elijah. And then Elijah says, you go tell Ahab to get in his chariot and return to Jezreel before the road becomes muddy. What an honor God bestows on us, people. What an honor God bestows on his children. He builds our prayers into his plans. He builds our prayers into his providence. He calls us to take his promises in his providence and turn them into prayers that his promises may come to pass. We could spend the rest of the day elaborating well, let's apply it in only one way. We said this morning, what we say every Lord's Day morning, that God has promised to meet with his people when they gather in his name. Question, how intensely did we pray yesterday in preparation for today? How intensely did we pray last night? How intensely did we pray this morning before we arrived? How intensely did we pray for his presence or did we simply say we don't have to pray 
that prayer. He's always, he's already promised he would be here. Well, he promised Elijah he had send a drought. Elijah prayed anyway. He promised Elijah that he would send the rain. And Elijah prayed. He understood the teaching of Scripture. How many times have we been here, people, and we've missed his presence and we haven't heard his voice? Maybe we need to learn once more to pray down his promises, to pray, oh, Father, come down. Come meet with your people. Open our eyes to see and our ears to hear. One of our elders has been intense about starting this prayer service that we're going to have the second Sunday of every month. And he's so right. We need to pray, to intensely pray and turn God's promises into our prayers. Elijah, why did, why are you praying for rain? Because God promised it. Second question. Why did Ahab, Ahab, why did you still not believe? We've seen God calls us to turn his promises into our prayers. Now we're going to see the same God who sent the miraculous fire sent the rain. You say, well, what does that have to do with Ahab not believing? Well, let's find out. Look at and after he got back to Jezreel, in 1 Kings 19, verses 1 and 2, we read, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more if I do not make your life as one of them by this time tomorrow. Even after Carmel even after the fire from heaven. The ungodly duo is still intact. Ahab returns to Jezebel and they persist in their war against the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Here's the greatest prophet of the day, the greatest prophet that had been in Israel up to that point, and they plan to kill him. How could this be? Ahab had seen three years of a supernatural drought. God had sent word to him that the drought was because of his own sin, because of Ahab's sin, because of Jezebel's sin. But then that very day, Ahab had seen the God of Israel. He had seen the God of Israel send fire from a cloudless sky and burn up the wood and the sacrifice. Yet he refused to yield. How can this be? Ahab had personal contact. This would be like knowing personally Billy Graham or knowing some great minister. He had personal contact with Elijah. He had the witness of Elijah. Maybe we can understand why he would not listen to the preaching of the prophet. But then that very day, he had seen the fire fall. 
The people of Israel that had been there had fallen on their faces. They had just been in awe of what happened. We think, if I'd been there, I would believe I would have fallen on my face. Ahab did not. If you think that that miracle would crush your rebellious heart, listen to Jesus. In Luke 16, he tells a parable. The parable is about a man we simply know as a rich man. He's not even named. There's a poor man that is set at his gates. That was a godly man. His name was Lazarus. He was very poor. He was a beggar. Lazarus dies and goes to the bosom of Abraham. Goes to heaven. The rich man dies and goes to hell. And Jesus is telling this story. It's in Luke 16. Look at verse 27. And he said, the, the rich man said, Then I beg you, Father Abraham, to send Lazarus to my father's house. For I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Oh, no, Father Abraham. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Jesus said, people will see, can see a resurrection and still not believe. When members of the Sanhedrin saw Jesus raise their friend Lazarus, they all knew Lazarus. He was a significant person. When they saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead, were they converted? No. In fact, they made plans, the Sanhedrin made plans to kill Lazarus to get rid of the evidence. You don't believe that? This afternoon, go home and read the Gospel of John, chapters 11 and 12. They saw a resurrection. And they wouldn't believe. Ahab had refused the grace of God time and time again. Every time he did that, his heart became harder. With every refusal, he was turning his heart into a piece of iron. But how often do we still, even though we read this, do we still want to see the fire from heaven? Oh, send a miracle. If only God would do that, I, I would believe my faith would be so much stronger. Think with me a moment. That evening, Ahab drove his chariot. He probably had a driver. He was in his chariot, returning to the summer palace in Jezreel. And a wonderful, beautiful rain was falling. 17 miles he enjoyed a rain refreshing the land. A rain he had not seen for three years. He knew God had sent that rain. Write this down in your head. The same God who sent the fire from heaven also gave the rain. Same God. 
People were surrounded every second of every day with God's goodness, with God's gift, with God's mercy, with God's grace. Yet we cry out in our blindness, but I want to see the fire. I want to see the fire from heaven. People, if you don't see the wonder in the everyday grace of God, when you do see the fire from heaven, you'll walk right on by as if it never happened. That's what Ahab did. I read this this week. I'd never thought about it. In the 1800s, here in Fayette County, in the hot southern summers, If you raised your windows, you had to endure the flies, the gnats, the mosquitoes, horse flies, biting insects, so that you either lived inside the heat and the humidity with closed windows, or you opened the windows for fresh air and endured the endless bites and irritation from insects and bugs. Then in 1880, someone introduced window screens. You know what someone wrote at the time? I read this this week. Quote, the most humane contribution the 19th century made to the sanity and good tamper, temper of mankind was window screening. Folks, everyday blessings. We're blind to them. The grace of God, the wonder of God is all around us every day. This is not Mollum. This is the truth of Scripture. Read Romans 1. Read Psalm 19. Read Psalm 103, Psalm 104. We have God's Word. Yet we cry out for miracles like the fire from heaven. We have the wonder of God's grace every day. Our lives are saturated every day with God's gifts. And we can't even see them, much less revel in them. God calls us to turn his promises into our prayers. The same God who sent the miraculous fire also sent the rain. And now the question. Why did Elijah... Run in front of Ahab's chariot all the way to Jezreel. Thirdly, I want you to see in this passage, God's is relentless in his grace. God is relentless in his grace. Look at verses 44 and 45. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down lest the rain stop you. 
And in a little while the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain, and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. This has always seemed so strange to me. Why would God, and it was God who ordered it, look in the verse, and the hand of the Lord, Elijah didn't say, you know, I believe I'll go run in front of it. God told Elijah. He gave him strength. He enabled him. Go run ahead of Ahab to Jezreel. The hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And for some reason, God empowered Elijah to run ahead for 17 miles. Why? All the way home, Ahab could see that damnable prophet running in front of him. When he passed through the gates of Jezreel, it makes a point of this. When he passed through the gates of Jezreel, there was Elijah. Read for the next three chapters. At every turn, Ahab is confronted by God, by the prophet Elijah, or by one of God's prophets. I read 1 Kings 18 through 22 over and over again this week. God would simply not go away. Elijah would not go away. Here's the contrast. The day before, when Ahab had left Jezreel for Mount Carmel, he had quite an entourage. Think about what that would have looked like. Imagine the march to Carmel with 450 prophets of Baal in all of their official and liturgical finery. Imagine all the small towns they've had. Everybody turned out, the king is coming. King Ahab is going to come. This great parade. He returns to Jezreel the next night. And there's no ostentatious parade. There's no 450 prophets of Baal. But there is Elijah. There is the God of Elijah. In a way, Ahab received a most gracious invitation from God. That's what this is, an invitation, a reminder. Ahab, I am the God of Israel. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not not Baal. Baal's not your God. He doesn't exist. I am God, Ahab. Ahab had an invitation in the presence of Elijah. Ahab, come home to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He had witnessed the greatest drought Israel had ever seen. He had witnessed fire falling from a cloudless sky. He had witnessed the returning of the rain. And when the chariot passed through the gates of Jezreel, there was the good prophet Elijah with God's word and with God's grace. But where would Ahab go? Straight to the devil's pleasure palace. Straight to the bedroom of Baal's Jezebel. Yet even then, Elijah remained in Ahab's life. And he was faced over and over and over again with God's relentless grace.
It did not end well for Ahab. Our ending this morning will be different than Ahab's ending. For we shall stand before the God of Mount Carmel and the God of Mount Calvary. And we will sing, Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee.